Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, I'm very happy to be joined by my friend and Texas friend, let me say, uh, Randy Crum from CoolInfographics.com and his own company, InfoNute. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I suspect it's a little colder up here in Virginia than it is down there in Dallas. Yep, just a little bit. Just a little bit. You're now what, enjoying, you've got 70s or 80s? Uh, in the mix, 70s to 80s 70s is where 80s, we're ha- yeah. hovering. Yep. We're, we're now starting to drop down. We're in the 40s, but you know, we'll, we'll start moving our way down soon. Well, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on. We've got a lot to talk about, and uh, we also have a special giveaway coming up at the end of the show, but we'll get to that later on. I want to start by asking you, if you could, to, um, to introduce yourself to folks. I'm sure most listeners of this show are actually familiar with your site, Cool Infographics. It's one of those data visualization websites that's been around for a while now. When did, when did you start the, the site, actually? So the site started in 2007, and so we're quickly wow. coming up on the 10-year anniversary. 10-year anniversary, right. So, so maybe you could talk a little bit about the site, how you got started in, in both the, on the site and your own company, and, and what drives your interest in this field. Yeah, so it started in 2007, and, and I had my own you know, like examples of data viz and infographics like pasted up on my office walls and in a file. Um, and I was trying to figure out how blogs worked. Um, and I said, well, why don't I just post all these because I'm trying to save bookmarks to all these different websites that have data viz on them. Um, and started the website, and pretty quickly uh, the website started taking off and was really driving a whole bunch of traffic. And at the time, um, I was not running my own company. I was the VP of product development marketing for a consumer product company, um, and this was sort of a side thing for me. And so it really started taking off um, and very quickly led to, hey, there's a there's a real need here and there's a potential business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I uh, started probably in 2009, late 2009 is when I started the company InfoNute and started doing data viz and infographics for clients. Interesting. Were these clients needing both the data analytics side or was this so early on in the game or the, the explosion, I guess, of data visualization that they were just interested in learning what are infographics, what is data visualization, um, or did you need to sort of help take them through the entire process? Um, I would say both, and it still continues to be both, mm-hmm. right? So we get some people that will approach us and say, we want an infographic, but we don't know what to do yet. And we gotta, they need help picking a topic and gathering data and finding a story and then actually designing the infographic. Um, and actually, it started in a lot of uh, consumer research and consumer behavior. Like they already have done the research. They have an executive summary already written. Um, you know, and they just said, OK, now we need an infographic to sort of summarize this as an executive summary. And they, they exactly know what they want to visualize. Right. You have been researching and watching and tracking the trends in the infographic area and data visualizations uh, as well. But what have you seen in the world of infographics specifically? How have they changed over the last almost 10 years that you've been that you've been running the site? Yeah, almost 10 years. So, you know, when we started out, nobody knew what an infographic was. Yeah. I mean, even the word infographic yeah. was pretty foreign. It had been, you know, certainly for designers at newspapers and magazines, it was a backroom word that they knew and loved. But but people online, the general public, had no idea what an infographic was. Um, and so the Internet kind of hijacked the word infographic and, and it became this online thing um, over, say, the last 10 years. And I would say in 2010, it really started to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, infographics were going viral. It was really the the birth of strong visual content marketing. Kind of funny at the time, it was more important to have an infographic than it was to have a good infographic. Right, right. And since that time, though, what has been the big change? Has it been just the popularity? Has it been the tools? Has it been everything? And, and how are people viewing 
their use. You're working with a lot of marketing and financial firms. How has the use within those companies changed the perception of, of the infographic itself? Yeah, so 10 years ago and even five years ago, right, it was this new, unique, novel thing that they would publish on their websites or blogs or when they just were starting the company Facebook page or something like that. It was really new and exciting. And now um, it's still growing and companies are still using infographics left and right as part of their visual content marketing. But it's just it's just an infographic. It's just a staple along with mm. social graphics and videos and blog posts, you know, and it's just one of those tools that they use. It's no longer just this new fancy shiny thing. Right. And are the new fancy shiny things the interactive online tools? And do you think people are pushing uh, companies, I should say firms, uh, and not sort of the news organizations, which we know have a different sort of model and needs, but are do you find that that organizations you work with are pushing on interactivity is it the new shiny thing or are they pushing on it because they actually need it? Um, I think it's more the new shiny thing, right? Yeah. So we're seeing a push for interactivity or animated graphics, um, that kind of thing. And it's it's really more the new shiny from a corporate business marketing sense. There's still demand that they want people to be able to share it, right? And so yeah. still far and away, static graphics are so easy to share. Mm -hmm. um, compared to trying to share or use embed code or take a screenshot of an interactive one so that you have got a visual that you can share with it. Right. And what do you find when you're working with people and they're, they're building infographics or they're building data visualizations? Where's the stress point? Where's the choke point on their process? Is it the tools or is it the storytelling or is it actually getting the data? Where, where do you find most people sort of struggle in that whole process of, of creation? The choke point, I think, is being focused. Right. So we actually developed an infographic creative brief to try and help clients really sort of nail down the scope of what it is they're looking for and what their objectives are. Um, because and I would say a lot of infographics that are out there, they just sort of throw some data together. And here you go. It's a JPEG file. It's an infographic. Yeah. Um, and really no story, no cohesiveness. And we really try to push them to determine and decide what is that key message that they want to communicate and design around that. Mm -hmm. um, we've learned um, I mean, think about the millions and millions of page views just I've had on cool infographics. Um, and what I call the five second rule is because, you know, of those millions of page views, most people are only looking at infographics for between five and 10 seconds. They're not going to read the whole thing. They're not going to read paragraphs of information about your company. You've got to design something that within that first five seconds, they get that key message you're trying to communicate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that is part of the thing about the infographic is that it gives you this five, 10 second view, whereas the interactivity can sometimes get you to go in and play with it. But also you lose certain people that don't really need the interactivity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the interactivity lends itself more to what I would call the discovery side of data viz, mm -hmm. right? Where you're giving people an opportunity to change the data that's being displayed so that it's something that's more, you know, interesting to them personally or something that they're actually want to engage in and, and research versus I'm skimming the news and I want a quick summary of what's going on or a quick summary about a trend or whatever it is. And that's really where more of the, the static infographics shine. Right, right. Now, you mentioned earlier on that, that one of the things you work with uh, clients on is storytelling. And so can you talk a little bit about how you think about storytelling when it comes to infographics, when it comes to data, and how does that sort of telling those stories with data differ from what one might think about as a story, you know, the, the, the storybook you read to your kids or, or the novel that you read on your commute? How do you view the differences between stories and then stories with data? Yeah, so stories with data 
I, I try to keep it simple. Again, we're you know talking about a pretty short attention span of mm-hmm. five to ten seconds. Right. So, you know, we try to say, okay, what's the one thing that you want your audience to walk away with, and then our, we build our story around that. So we say, okay, are there pieces of data that your audience needs to understand first, like some foundational information before they're going to really comprehend this major insight that you're trying to share with them, right? So we'd say the beginning of the story, that intro might say, you know, and here's the uh, general population of the planet. And then the big insight is, hey, we've crossed the 7 billion people mark, you know, or whatever that story is, but you need a little bit of background information first, and then you hit them with the insight. And then, and a lot of infographics, miss this, you got to give them something to do with that information, right? It doesn't have to be a sales pitch, but it's got to be some sort of conclusion or call to action. What is it that your audience should do, whether it's, you know, visit a website or purchase a certain product or vote a certain way or call your mother and eat healthy, you know, whatever it is you want your audience to do, you know, you want to lead them to making better decisions in their life with your data. Right. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this is always a struggle I've had with this phrase about stories and stories with data is that I sort of envision when I think about a story, I think about people or a person or a group of people, you know, you introduce the characters and they interact and, and there's some tension or so, so there's some conflict and then it get and then and then it resolves. Whereas with stories with data is, you know, kind of a different platform, a different way to think about it. the way you just described it was give the audience or the reader the background and then, you know, what is the main point of the thing? But it's not quite that narrative story. Yeah, not quite. I mean, sometimes we'll try to use characters, but, you know, in a lot of cases, it's pretty much set up the problem so that when you show them the solution, it actually makes sense and it actually provides closure to that problem you set up in the intro. And it's really that short. Yeah. So I wonder is like, is the word story, is that, is it a bad, is it not the right word that we always say, let's tell a story with this data, but is it, is that not maybe the right word? Maybe, but I don't know what the right word would be if that <laughs> right. is the story, right? right. Because it, what you don't want to do is just throw a chart in front of somebody and let them figure it out, yeah. right? Because then, you know, you have no idea what they're going to look at and certainly no insight that you've discovered this really big learning in the data that they can use, but they may miss it if you don't try to highlight it and build up to it with this story or whatever we would call it. Mm-hmm. And do you distinguish between annotation, as it were, on a chart versus Let's just call it stories for now, but I'm still not I'm still not sure what to call it, but let's call it stories. So if I have a bar chart, for example, and, you know, I have six bars and they're increasing across from left to right and I annotate that last bar, that highest bar, and I say, "Ooh, this is the highest revenue in this quarter for this number of firms or something. Do you distinguish between that as annotation versus stories or do you sort of view that as the same thing because you have set the stage in this whole graph and then you've given this this point, this thing that you want people to focus on. Yeah. So I I would not make a distinction between the two that we would use annotations to help tell that story, but certainly in that chart design, whether it's text or color or whatever, right, we're trying to lead the audience's attention to the major insight and whether it's, you know, I like to say titles matter, right? So, you know, whether it's the title that's really calling out either the problem or we have this big insight and then you annotate in the chart so you can say, look here, this is why we believe this. Right. What is the biggest mistake people make with making infographics? Aside from, you know, let's say they have the story and you've helped them gather the background and this is the main takeaway. When they actually sit down and start designing and pulling things together, what's the biggest mistake people make? Oh, I could list a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll give you top three. Go ahead. Top three is fine. Top three. So, yeah. I mean, I get 
hundreds of submissions a week. I look at a lot of infographics of yeah. people that want me to post on cool infographics. And I would say far and away, most of the infographics out there are not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple of you can call them pet peeves, right? So issues that I run into all the time. And one is just too much data. Right. They throw everything in there because they think it builds their credibility or like, look at all this data we gathered. And therefore, we're so intelligent or we're so you know knowledgeable about this topic when all it's doing is creating clutter and making it hard to read the infographic. Mm. That might be too much data. That might be too much text. That happens a lot, too, where they mm-hmm. want. Now that we've got their attention, let's put in, you know, three paragraphs about how great our company is or our product or something like that. Mm. Um, the other one is and I really struggle with this and is that. People like to use big fonts for their numbers, right? Yeah. And that doesn't actually visualize the data. That doesn't actually help your audience understand it or comprehend it. It doesn't give it any context versus actually visualizing data. So they like to make big numbers. Right. Um, and I think that's a mistake. Just a big number by itself just isn't enough to help your audience understand that data. Right. Do you um, have a strong feeling on certain chart types? And of course, this first leads everyone to think about 3D or pie charts or other charts. I mean, are there chart types where you see an infographic that has a 3D exploding pie chart and you're like, nope, that's immediately going in the garbage pile? Or do you have that? <laughs> do you have that strong militant view on some of these things that we all debate all the time? I'm not absolutist about it. Like, yeah. I don't hate pie charts no matter what. Um, 3D, I'm pretty opposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, um, in, like even in the class, we try to do it like a brainstorm of like, where would 3d be appropriate? And we can come up with just a handful of places where 3d actually makes sense. But, um, generally a 3d pie chart just by itself is going to be bad. Yeah. You know, you'd look, probably look at these as much as I do. I mean, I can spot an inaccurate data viz right. just within a, within a couple of nanoseconds and that's yeah. an immediately I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I think there's also the, the, the tension there of inaccurate that you can see and then the inaccurate that the data the author, the creator has used, they've used it dishonestly. And that takes a little deeper thought because if if they've done a good job of using it dishonestly, you may not even know. Oh, absolutely. Right. So far and away, most people just make mistakes, right? Yeah. And so the, the data is um is just wrong. The data's good, but the visualization doesn't match it. Right. Um, but you're right. It's those deceptive ones where it's accurate, but they've certainly skewed it for a specific purpose. That it takes, you know, a little bit more contemplation or insight to look at and understand what's going on. Right. Um, I want to step away from infographics for for a moment because you have a lot of other stuff going on. Um, you are running the local DataViz meetup group in Dallas, correct? Yep. Right. Yep. Going strong. All right. Good. Um, you're teaching at SMU, and you also have a LinkedIn group as well, right? Yeah, so there's a, a cool infographics group on LinkedIn. I think it's um, somewhere around 1,800 members um, that we have set up. And, you know, LinkedIn groups are kind of interesting where we've got 1,800 members of people and they, you know, consistently growing. Yeah. And the intent is to be a discussion place about the craft of designing data viz or publishing data viz or marketing data viz and infographics. Um, and not be a place where people just post, hey, here's a link to my infographic. Check yeah. it out. Right. It's yeah. not a place where people are trying to generate backlinks. Um, so LinkedIn groups, I think, are struggling a little bit. We got a lot of members, um, but I would love to get more discussion out there. Right. Um, and get more topics. It's just sort of a struggle. And I don't know if you run into this on Help Me Viz, but it's a struggle to get people to engage um, yeah. and really you know, provide responses or opinions and stuff like that. Yeah. I think any of these sort of groups, they are essentially at their core, their social media. And so social media only works if, if people contribute and talk. And so 
I think that's the core challenge to all of these. I'm curious, the people who are involved in the LinkedIn group, do they tend to be the creators of infographics or are they the consumers of infographics? Um, and you know, I really don't know. Um, I think I know we have both in there, yeah. Um, but I don't know which one is far and away the most. I mean, we have a lot of like managers and entrepreneurs and stuff who just like to lurk and see what's going on and keep their hand on the pulse of what any new potential visual content might be. Sure. Um, but then there are people that just want to talk about, you know, what's a better way to visualize this data or, you know, what's the optimal way to set up a landing page for this infographic that I want to publish for my company or something like that. Right, 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 right. And so when it comes to when you're creating or when you're help, helping people create, can you talk a little bit about the design process? Now, many people probably know you have a fantastic book, Cool Infographics, um, that has parts of the design process. But for those of you who haven't read it, can, can you talk a little bit about your process as you go through? You've talked about storytelling and, and sketching out. But when you sit down with some data and you're saying, I'm going to make this infographic, what is your specific process like? I mean, it's a five-step process. Um, that starts with that infographic creative brief to try and figure out how much is already known, whether the data is even known or not, um, if they know what message, um, things like how are they going to publish it. So, you know, if they're, they're going to publish it online, those tall scrollable infographics work fine. But if they want to stick it in a, a presentation or have printouts of it, you need to know that up front so that you design to a, a form factor that actually can print out nicely and not be too small that you can't read it. So we start with that. And we really dive into the data to make sure that we understand the data and this insight that the client wants to communicate. They may have the data. They may not have the data. So that may be all part of the data process um, that we start out with. But once we know that and we say, okay, here's our insight. Here's what we want to communicate. Um, our next step is a wireframing process where we'll do really a sketch and it's not even trying to visualize anything yet. It's just a sketch of the flow of information, which goes back to when we were talking about storytelling, right? So what's the, the sequence of information that the audience is going to need to understand? So there might be two or three uh, background statistics that you need to lead with so that they have a foundation before you actually reveal this new insight um, that they have in the data. And then what is that call to action or conclusion? Mm -hmm. And we would lay this out on a page in black and white with placeholders and not actually try to visualize anything yet because we don't want to predetermine or get people thinking a certain way yet. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll start doing concepts and we actually go through the exercise of visualizing the data in a handful of different ways um, using different chart styles or illustration styles. Um, sometimes it's even try one that's lighthearted and fun and try one that's very serious and businesslike, you know, or something like that and see what the client has a, a taste for. Mm hmm. You know, and we might do like, here's a bar chart, but here's a tree map or, you know, here's um, a bubble chart, you know, or something like that. And it's really try to see not only which data visualization style is effectively showing the data, um, but we also know that you don't want to have one infographic that's got nothing but 10 bar charts in it, right? We want to break it up a little bit so mm -hmm. that when you move from one data set to the next, we actually want to change the visual style so that it's easy for the audience to know they're now moving into a new data point or a new data set. And it really makes it easier for them to comprehend that. Right. Um, so anyway, you do these, you know, three, four or five different design concepts, review those with the client, and then we move to a first draft. We'll take the best of what we liked of those design concepts and put together a complete first draft and then iterate. So we'll you know, have that reviewed by a third party, meaning somebody who hasn't been part of the design process so far, and try and get some feedback on are they understanding the message we want to communicate? What did they get from the infographic? And, you know, it usually goes for a number of rounds of tweaks um, and rearranging and changing how the data viz looks and that sort of thing until we get to the final product. Um, and then 
create whatever the publication files are going to be for that infographic or data viz, you know, whether it's PowerPoint or a JPEG file or a PDF. Mm-hmm. So I have two questions. So do you find that people gravitate towards the standard chart types of pie charts and line charts and column charts? And do you try to push them toward, I mean, you mentioned tree maps as a good example, sort of a not totally non-standard, but it's sort of non-standard graph type. But do you find people push back on those sorts of things because it takes them a moment to understand what, what it's doing? Yeah, I mean, everybody, what I call the big three, um, the pie charts, the bar charts, and the line charts, Yeah. Um, you know, really sort of, they assume that's the way they think, because if they were going to, you know, open up Excel, that's what they would create. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's it's really enlightening when they start to see some of these other concepts, and they get really excited. Um, but sometimes, depending on who the audience is, right, sometimes they'll look at that and go, no, 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 we got to go back to a bar chart. Right. Right. Interesting. And what are the tools that you use? I think everybody's interested in, in what tools are should be used. But f- specifically, I think more on the static side, what are the tools that you're using to, to piece all of these things together? Yeah. So everybody asks about tools. In fact, yeah. there's a you know a whole chapter in the book just on tools. Right. Um, and so what I find is that most data viz and infographic designers have some vector graphics program that's their favorite, um, that that's where they're going to bring everything together whether it's building an infographic or maybe it's PowerPoint where you're going to put a presentation together or whatever. Um, and then a handful of other data viz tools that are just basically in their toolbox that are tools they really like to use. And it might be a couple mapping tools or a couple websites that create things like uh, word clouds or, um, you know, a country map that where the states are color coded, you know, or, you know, something like that where they create those separately, but then would bring them back to, an Adobe Illustrator or a PowerPoint or something like that when they put the final product together. Um, but yeah, you, you could have, you know, 10, 20, 30 of your favorite just data viz tools and websites where you're going to build those separate data visualizations before you bring them all together. Right. And you are, I'm guessing, using most of the Adobe Creative Suite to bring all that stuff together? I'm actually going to surprise you and say no. Oh. I don't usually use Adobe. I think it's generally way too big and complicated yeah. for the needs of data viz and infographics. Yeah. Um, you know, my background is not graphic design. My degree is in mechanical engineering. And I find that most people that come from the data side and learn design as they go, we try to use a little more lightweight tools. Okay. Um, you know, I'll use OmniGraffle, which is uh, diagramming and uh, sort of a vector program on the Mac. I use that pretty much more than anything else. So for folks who, who aren't aware, there is, as you mentioned, a whole chapter in the Cool Infographics book about tools. And there's a whole portion of your website and a, a number of blog posts that talk about these tools. So um, folks should go out and check those out. Um, so I think uh, we're going to wrap up and we have an offer for folks. Um, Randy, you want to, you want to let people know about this uh, special. I feel like a, I feel like a, you know, I feel like, QVC <laughs> like a game show. Right? Yeah. Like a game show. We have a special <laughs> offer for you on this week's episode. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, so I'll send out um, a signed copy of cool infographics. We just got to, um, manage how we do this on Twitter, I think is the way we decided we want yeah, to do this. Yeah. Um, um, and so we want to open this up and, you know, once we choose a winner, I'll send out a, a signed copy of cool infographics to them. Yeah. So tweet out what your favorite data viz tool is, and it can be for making infographics or it can be for, uh, making interactives. Your data visualization is a pretty broad term. So what's your favorite data visualization tool? And at the end of this week, we'll put all the names in the hopper and we'll pull one out and you get an uh, autographed copy of, of Randy's book, Cool Infographics. Just tag it with the hashtag the policy viz podcast, um, which is probably how you found out about this show on Twitter. Um, and again, we'll throw all those names in a, in a hopper and we'll, and we'll pull a name out and you get a free book. So, um, yeah, it's got to have that hashtag because otherwise we'll never see it. We'll never <laughs> see it. And we're interested to see 
I don't think we're going to be surprised at some of the things that we'll find, right? We're going to see a lot of D3 and R and Excel. Right. Um, and um, we'll see some, we'll see a lot of Illustrator, I'm sure, as well, and some other things. But it'll be interesting to see what the whole landscape or what a landscape looks like in, in terms of tools. So, um, yeah, and if, if we get enough, we'll, we'll create a little data viz for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this has been great. Randy, thanks so much for coming on the show. I think we covered a lot of ground today. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. Um, until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. So thanks again for listening. <laughs> <laughs>